Hello and welcome to Mixnerd News. This is where you come to listen to breaking news when it comes to the nerd world. That means we have breaking video game news, movie news, and TV news. If you want to hear about the latest games, the latest movies, and everything else, stick around. Because here's your host, Nick, from a tiny studio in San Diego. What's up, friends? It is August 30th. That is right, it is August 30th. Starfield's out in a few days. Uh, it is me, Nick, the host of Nickster News, your host, your host with the most. Am I your favorite host? I mean, there's only been a few other people that have guest hosted, but I, I don't know. How are you guys going up to, right? What did I just say? I don't know what I just said. Anyway, we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. There were some... M- few more things that came out of Gamescom at the end of the week. Uh, Warner Brothers is delaying a bunch of movies because of the strike. And then, of course, because of the strikes, we're going to keep talking about old movies and my favorite old movies. We're still in the 80s, so the 80s is going to be quite a bit. But we are going to talk about my favorite 80s sci-fi movies. And I'm I'm sure you guys are going to be a little surprised at how the list plays out. Um in terms of where my favorite franchise lies and how it is split up. That's right. <laughs> Giving you a little preview, if you will. But uh, enough about that. Why don't we talk about some other things before we give too much away. Don't forget to check out nixnerdnews.com where you guys can listen to the show right in the browser if you want. You can find links to our Spotify, our Google Podcasts, Apple Podcast pages. We're on iHeartRadio, Amazon Music whole lot of places actually you can listen right in tiktok now too speaking of tiktok you should follow me on tiktok the nick defalco or follow the podcast socials on threads on twitter on facebook instagram that's all under nick's nerd news give us a like a share subscribe whatever you guys want to do uh post a lot of fun stuff kind of unifying content across the board lately i know i used to post a lot of fun memes not so much anymore trying to grow audiences if if you know what i mean but uh hopefully you guys are enjoying everything that i've been posting but uh, yeah give us a like a share subscribe all those fun places and uh instead of all this housekeeping and giving away the the farm why don't we actually get to the actual news shall we Okay, as always, we start with what's going on in video game news. So, we have learned 
uh, towards the tail end of Gamescom, we learned that Larian has finally announced that Baldur's Gate 3 will come to Xbox before the end of 2023, even going so far as saying sometime between September and November. So that means very soon. Uh, They did have to make a concession. So uh, Phil Spencer, or sorry, the founder of of Larian, Sven Vinka, said, quote, super happy to confirm that after meeting Phil Spencer yesterday, we found a solution that allows us to bring Baldur's Gate 3 to Xbox players this year still, something we've been working towards for quite some time, unquote. Uh, So apparently split screen will only be on Series X. Uh, It will no longer be available on Series S, which was a big thing that Xbox was trying to help them get done, and that was kind of what was holding the game up. Uh, Looks like that will no longer be the case. So if you want to play split screen on Xbox, you better have it on Series X. We also learned, though, that it will have cross-save progression between Steam and the PlayStation version. So if you started playing on Steam or uh, on PlayStation but you want to switch over to Xbox, you can transfer your save. It will have cross-progression. You don't have to worry about that. So that is a big, big thing. So mainly the biggest hurdle was, you know, Phil Spencer is insistent on games being able to run both on Series S and X, but as of late we've started to learn that some games are having parity issues being on both consoles. Um Technically, it's one console, but not really. But at least Baldur's Gate 3 is coming sooner than a lot of people expected. Uh, 2K Games have announced that with NBA 2K24 dropping soon, which will feature Kobe Bryant as the cover athlete, um, it will feature a new game mode type. So past iterations have had Jordan moments, which focused on Michael Jordan and and career highlights of him, being that he is literally the GOAT of basketball, and he's been on the cover of of 2K games multiple times. But being at NBA 2K24, Kobe Bryant famously wore the number 24. Uh, It will feature Mamba moments. So it will feature signature moments from Kobe Bryant's career that you get to play in and, and play in versions of in NBA 2K24. So uh, that's going to be a new thing, and it's kind of wanting me to get NBA, because while I do love Jordan, and Dwayne Wade's my second favorite player, Kobe is literally my third favorite player. So it it really makes me want to get NBA 2K24, even though I was very turned off from NBA in general uh, when I got the last one, which was 23, and it just was not a fun experience. Um Anyway, Fortnite consider, continues its its dominance by adding more Star Wars characters. This time, Ahsoka will be added to Fortnite. You can play as the Torgruda Jedi in Fortnite. Anyway, Todd Howard has announced that uh, Elder Scrolls Six is in early development, but don't expect much news anytime soon. That game will probably not be out for quite some time. If you are expecting it to be out in the next year or so, you you might need to get your brain checked. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyway, Uh, Starfield is out on Saturday. Tomorrow, if you have the early access. 
Well, someone somehow got their hands on several copies of Starfield, even, even leaked the first 40 minutes of the game. Well, he's been arrested, uh, mainly for his theft of the game, not leaking it. 29-year-old Darren Harris, as reported by Kotaku, was booked into the Shelby County Jail in Tennessee on a felony charge of theft of property costing between $2,500 and $10,000. That is a misdemeanor charge um, with a theft of property of $1,000 or less and another misdemeanor charge. So two misdemeanor charges, um, one of them being possession of marijuana, one of them being uh, theft of property under $1,000, and a felony charge of theft of property costing $2,500 to $10,000. This is via the official website of Shelby County Sheriff's Department. Um, (laughs) One of those stolen items is Starfield. We don't know how he got it, what his legal repercussions will be. He did post a $10,000 bail, and it looks like he took video of the game from a cell phone and posted it to his own YouTube account. It was taken down for copyright infringement, and then somehow he was caught. Um, <laughs> he did He did give praise to the game, though. He did say, quote, Todd, no offense, man, that's a good game. Perfect timing about leaving the earth and all that. It's good stuff. Pretty swell, good moves. They were saying I like I play like a beginner because I'm not a game expert. I was just trying something out. That's a good game. Y'all, y'all don't want to miss it. Starfield for real, unquote. <laughs> that is really funny, actually. So, interesting to see what happens with him further. We will keep an eye on it as time goes on, if we're updated on it, that is. Um, in a new twist, the Old Republic might be canon now in Disney Star Wars canon. Uh, with an update to the Disney Star to the Star Wars website, to in, uh, which kind of goes over the timeline of the Star Wars universe um, and how everything fits in in the timeline, we got a brief synopsis of the Old Republic, uh, spotted by Star Wars Newsnet. This is the synopsis posted on StarWars.com. Quote: The Republic is founded among the worlds of the Galactic Core, and the Jedi Order emerges to protect it. A schism within the Jedi leads to the creation of the Sith in this epic era. Unquote. So, that's all we really know. Does this mean we will learn more eventually? I'm sure of it. There is a movie planned to tell the story of the first Jedi set several thousand years before the Skywalker saga. Um, I think several thousand, several millennia, I should say. Um, because several thousand was the Old Republic. They're, they want to tell the story of the first Jedi, which is like over 25,000 years before. So it'll be interesting to see what they end up saying. Um, Gran Turismo, of all movies, won the box office this weekend, which is it's getting a very high audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it won with $17.3 million, beating Barbie which earns 17.1, Blue Beetle drops even farther. Uh, but yeah, Gran Turismo wins the box office. A video game movie, no less. Well, not really a video game movie per se, but it's... So the Gran Turismo movie tells the story about a young man who 
there's a Gran Turismo contest in Europe to see if you're good at the game, if you could become a real like race car driver. Uh, and he won like the fourth or fifth iteration in 2011 to become an actual like F1 Formula One driver. Uh, the movie's about his story, so it's not really a video game movie per se, but it's a movie about someone who plays video games. So it's not your traditional video game adaptation that you might be used to. Uh, the major RoboCop game that was shown off heavily at Gamescom uh, was delayed to November. It was actually supposed to come out very soon, uh, but the developers have decided to push its release several weeks. Call of Duty has announced that Lara Croft will be a new downloadable um, operator in Season 5 for Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and uh, Warzone 2. But she doesn't look like any Lara Croft that's come before. Not from the old games, not from the uh, Crystal Dynamics games. Somewhat of a blend. Uh, but some people are hoping... So Crystal Dynamics announced a few, oh, either a few months back or last year, I don't entirely remember, about unifying Lara Croft with their three like prequel games and then the games from the 90s and how technically those take place in the future of... The Lara Croft that we play in, in their games, like Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Rise of the Tomb Raider, things like that. But uh, this is... Whoever they got for the model, for face model, or if it's a real person or not, people are complaining. And, I, look, I don't... I don't know. <laughs> it looks fine to me. I'm not going to nitpick a operator on Call of Duty, because... At the end of the day, it's probably not what Lara Croft's really going to look like in whatever the next potential Tomb Raider game is. So, you know, speaking of people complaining about things, I, I want to talk about the discourse going on on Starfield right now online. Apparently, there's invisible walls on some, some maps of the planets. So much as someone complained that they can't land on Jupiter. Or, sorry, not Jupiter. Yeah, Jupiter. They can't explore Jupiter. And people are like, bro, Jupiter's a gas giant. Where are you supposed to land, my dude? <laughs> like it's not it's not how this works. They didn't Bethesda didn't lie about exploring planets. They never said you could do the whole planet. They could they said you could explore explore parts of the well maybe. I don't know. Maybe they did and I missed something. So I I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong here. But apparently one of the planets in one of the sections already has a map bigger than Fallout 4. So who cares if you you can't do the whole planet if the sections of the planet are already that big. But really, the 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 both the hype and the anti-hype for that, this game is is becoming ridiculous. I just want to play it and hopefully enjoy it. So it'll be my first true Bethesda playthrough. Uh, I tried Fallout Three once; it was whatever to me. Um, I've played a few minutes of of Oblivion. That my first, my first achievement on my xbox 360 was my f from my friend who brought over oblivion and it was literally like turning on the game that was that was my first achievement um so that's my history with bethesda games so so starfield will be my first tr true like playthrough of a bethesda game uh moving on microsoft has killed its one dollar trial for Xbox Game Pass just literally a few days before Starfield comes out cuz you know a lot of people are going to sign up for Game Pass to play it. So they've had a $1 Game Pass trial 
literally for years at this point. You could sign up for a dollar to try it, um, and it it they've raised the prices of subscriptions, obviously, and things like that. But they have re- completely removed the one dollar two week fourteen day trial from the sign up page. Um, it was the only one left after it used to be like a one month, and people would stack it, and they'd only play pay like a dollar for a whole year. It was nuts, man. It was nuts what people were doing to get Game Pass. But realistically, Game Pass is still somewhat of a good deal. Um, I mean, the basic option is $9.99 a month for PC, $10.99 a month for a month on Xbox, or $16.99 a month for Ultimate, which includes both PC and Xbox. Um, Those are U.S. prices, obviously. So it, it, it really is a, a, a pretty good deal to get it if, if you want to play Xbox games and don't want to pay full price on games. Uh, moving on. So a new advertisement has been released for Mortal Kombat 1. This also marks the 30th, yes, the 30th anniversary of the original release of Mortal Kombat. So to honor that, the uh, people at... NetherRealm Studios have released a new ad, and it's pretty much exactly like the original ad for Mortal Kombat, with everyone running into the streets to scream Mortal Kombat, with the addition of Dave Bautista, though, which I think is pretty fucking cool. And it features Dave Bautista, like, walking through, I mean, it's pretty much L.A., like, calling people to arms, essentially, for Mortal Kombat, and them, like, awakening and screaming Mortal Kombat, and it's got like a slower version of the Mortal Kombat theme. Honestly, I don't get super excited for ads or advertisements for some things, but this was was pretty cool. It was, especially given it's the 30th anniversary. So I said 30th anniversary of the game. It's actually the 30th anniversary of the home release of the first game on on home consoles. It had been out in arcades for about a year before. Uh, But... Again, 30th anniversary of, of the original ad, so it's it's pretty cool for that. Um, this is an interesting story, and and speaking of Mortal Kombat and and uh, 30 years ago, Sonic came out 30 years ago as well, and the Sonic team uh, had an interesting to say about art styles of video games, and uh, this is specifically. Uh, Sonic Team creative officer and producer Takashi Izuka, uh, speaking at Gamescom to Games Radar and different press, I guess, said, quote, uh, Sonic Superstars is an evolution of the 2D Sonic gameplay, um, but he doesn't believe, unquote, uh, going so much as to say that he, he doubts pixel art. He, he also said, quote, we look at the pixel art. It's great. But when we think about 10 to 20 years in the future, we don't think it's going to be a viable art style or presentation for our players. And in order to advance and really step things up, we didn't want to make sure, we did want to make sure that we're presenting something that 10 to 20 years down the road we're still evolving and creating new content for, unquote. Look, I'm sure a lot of people are going to say this um, is interesting. Um, he did clarify again through a translator later that it's only in re- relation to Sonic, just Sonic. Obviously, pixel art can can still be good for games in t- 20 years. I mean, look, pixel art in games was, was the norm 30 years, 40 years ago, but it's still prevalent, just newer, better iterations of it. Look at Dead Cells. Look at 
Shovel Knight, look at like um, um, Stardew Valley. These games are pixelated, but they're much finer numbers of pixels and it's more refined and much better looking uh, than 30 plus years ago. So I get what he's saying. Um, and I, I'm, I'm glad he clarified on just Sonic. Uh, and, and obviously it won't work in, for Sonic's case because then it's like Sonic just never evolves. And you don't want to do that because it can get stale that way then. So I, I get what he's saying. Uh, it's, it's interesting for sure, but we'll see what happens. Uh, we also learned at Gamescom that the upcoming... Um, there's that, that Lord of the Rings dwarf game, Dwarven City game. I think Moria, what's it called? Um, uh, the Lord of the Rings Return to Moria. So it's set in the fourth age, 70 years after the end of Return of the King, essentially. Uh, we've learned that if you want to go all the way through Moria, like the Fellowship did, uh, 70 years prior, essentially, to the setting of the game, including when Gandalf tried to open up the door to Moria and, and against all of everything that goes on, it takes about two hours in the game to, to do this. Uh, so that includes opening the doorway, fighting the troll, running from the, the Balrog, all of that is two hours. Uh, so apparently the, the whole mine of Moria itself is enormous in the game, has all the landmarks, all that. It does have procedurally generated environments as well, but uh, it is coming and you'll be able to fully explore Moria when the game releases in the future. And it will have eight player co-op. So, uh, circling back to Call of Duty, when Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 launches later this year, it will have an AI-powered chat moderation system in place. So, when it launches in October, or November, uh, Activision has announced that ToxMod from Modulate, uh, which uses real-time voice chat moderation, will be in place to help combat toxic behavior. Uh, it uses real-time uh, AI speech patterns to enforce against it. Um, so it already has text-based filtering, and this is... Uh, they've already announced that, you know, voice chat is monitored and recorded for the express purpose of moderation. It is not used against you in any way, they say. Um, it will be used, this new moderation system will be based on the existing Call of Duty Code of Conduct that says, quote, voice chat that includes bullying or harassment will not be tolerated, unquote. Um, it does allow for trash talk, friendly banter. Uh, however, quote, hate speech discrimination Sexism and other types of harmful language as outlined in the Code of Conduct will not be tolerated, unquote, says Activision. Um, it does not violate, it does not, the AI will not enforce the violations. Uh, it will just submit reports and someone will eventually, I guess, have to listen to it eventually to decide what they will do. Um, you can disable in-game voice chat if you like, if you do not want to have their voice moderated at all. Um, but if you're going to use voice chat in game, it's going to get moderated no matter what. Uh, there's a whole lot of information on that. You can go look IGN and several other outlets have that on their websites. Um, PS plus has announced its new games for the month of September. Saints row will be available on PS4 and PS5. 
And then on PlayStation 4, you'll have Black Desert and Generation Zero. And speaking of PS Plus, Sony has raised the prices of its 12-month subscription options. Uh, of course, PS Plus is, depending on which option you get, will give you different access to different tiers of, of a, a, a large library of games. Uh, but this is a new price increase globally. Uh, and it, it's about a 30% increase, which is wild. Uh, most subscription prices usually don't go more than 10%. Um, from September 6th, these go into uh, place. The price of the... Uh, so the current price of Essential is $59.99 for 12 months. And it will go to $79.99. So that is a $20 increase. Uh, PlayStation Plus Extra, which is currently $99.99, will go to $134.99 a month, which is about a $35 increase. That's where we see about the 35%. And PlayStation Plus Premium, which is currently $119.99, will go to $159.99, which is a $40 increase. So th these prices are are somewhat astronomical uh it's the price of two games really and you know game pass is still kind of cheaper uh but via the playstation blog they said quote this price adjustment will enable us to continue bringing high quality games and value added benefits to your playstation plus subscription service unquote so it will still be cheaper than if you pay month to month but but they're still um quite expensive so the the they also announced that if you are currently a 12-month subscriber this price change will not go into effect until your next renewal date um, so that's as long as it is on or after november 6th any membership changes you make though after september 6th like if you upgrade downgrade or anything like that your new price will be affected right then and there um, of course, Game Pass went up recently as well, but I don't think it went up that much. Uh, it was announced that Imagine Dragons released a, a song for Starfield, which is a crazy sentence for me to say. So the song is called Children of the Sky, a Starfield song. And <laughs> apparently they're big Bethesda fans, so that's why they collaborated on a song. So the composer for Starfield actually helped them compose the song. It's not terrible. The internet loves to hate Imagine Dragons. I personally do not hate Imagine Dragons. I like quite a bit of their music. The song is actually quite good, if you ask me. Uh, it's on their YouTube if you want to check it out. Like I said, called Children of the Sky, a Starfield song. It's pretty good. And our last bit of gaming news here has to do with... Uh, in Japan, they're getting a new Pokemon show. And it's going to be live action, of all things. No word yet on if it's coming to the West. But TV Tokyo and the Pokemon Company have teamed up to uh, essentially create a new... It's called a Pocket Filled with Adventure. It will premiere October 19th. Um, no word yet on, again, a, a Western release. Uh, this was posted on Twitter, uh, translated by Serebi. Um... This pocket filled with adventure, it won't feature quote-unquote real versions of Pokemon and 
except it's going to be about someone who connects with the video game franchise, which, oh, all right, well, I'm cool with that, as long as it's Pokemon related, right? But I maybe that won't translate to Western audiences. Maybe they'll have to make an American version. I don't know. Depends. But we'll know uh, later in October after after it releases to the wild. Uh, that is it, though, for gaming news. Let's head on over to Hollywood and see what's uh, what's going on. Just about two hours north on the five freeway, shall we? <laughs> All right, so what's going on in Hollywood, huh? Well, we finally got a release date for Rick and Morty Season 7. Still don't have the name of Justin Roiland's replacement, though. So Rick and Morty Season 7 will drop on October 15th at 11 p.m. on Adult Swim with the new season of Rick and Morty, the new voice actor for, for Rick and Rick Prime and Morty and any other associated character. Uh, and we'll finally find out then who it is. CBS has announced for Star Trek Day that the first two episodes of Star Trek Strange New Worlds will air on the network. Uh, this is the first time Strange New Worlds has appeared on CBS, uh, on traditional you know, network television. Uh, and the first time a Star Trek, new Star Trek show has aired on network television since I think the premiere of Discovery several years ago. Um, but that's going to happen on Star Trek Day. <laughs> Obviously need content with all the strikes. Um, <laughs> and uh, how about this? David Ayer has recently been very candid about a lot of things. We've, this has been an ongoing thing from him. Uh, but he's opened up on several different podcasts about different work in Hollywood. So now we've learned, uh, this is via, via Deadline and was on the Real Ones podcast. Uh, he opened up about working on Fast and the Furious. Yes, David Ayer worked on the original The Fast and the Furious film. Uh, he said, quote, biggest franchise in Hollywood and I don't have any of it. I got nothing to show for it, nothing, because of the way the business works, unquote. So uh, it, it was adapted from an article in Vibe magazine and uh, was, was worked on. David Ayer actually came in to rework the script. Um, he's the one who brought in the diversity culture into the screenplay, made it more grounded. He followed up with quotes saying, when I got that script, that shit was set in New York and it was all Italian kids, right? I'm like, bro, I'm not going to take it unless I can set it in L.A. and make it look like the people I know in L.A., right? So then I started like writing in people of color and writing in the street stuff and writing in the culture and no one knew shit about street racing at the time. I went to a shop in the valley and met with like the first guys that were doing the hacking of the fuel curves for the injectors and stuff like that and they had just figured it out and they were showing it and I'm like, oh fuck yeah, I'm going to put it in the movie, unquote. So of course the, the franchise is now a billion, multi-billion dollar franchise it's been going for over 20 years, um, and it, he also followed up with, quote, the narrative that he didn't do shit with it, even though he made some major changes. He said, quote, 
It's like people hijack narratives, control narratives, create narratives to empower themselves, right? And because I was always an outsider and because like I don't go to the fucking parties, I don't go to the meals, I don't do any of that stuff, the people that did were able to control and manage narratives because they, they're socialized in that part of the problem. I was never socialized in that part of the problem. So I was always like the dark creative dude, beware, unquote. Uh, he followed up with, quote, fuck all the middlemen, right? I get it. It's up to me. I got to self-rescue, right? I can fucking whine about getting shot at at all the rounds that I've taken over my career. I've got to self-rescue and I've got to create an ecology where it's safe for me to be creative and that's it. And that's what I'm doing now, unquote. And, and it sucks that he says that because he's made amazing movies, right? I mean, he he did Training Day. He did Fury. He did... Uh, End of Watch, Bright, which I very much like. There's great movies that he has directed. Um, He was in the Navy. Uh, Like I said, he is a screenwriter. He is a director. Um, Street Kings he did. He wrote, sorry, he wrote Training Day. Um, He wrote The Fast and the Furious. He wrote the SWAT movie, which I like a lot. So he wrote and directed The Suicide Squad. He's done a lot of this, this stuff, right? Um, there's great movies that he's done and created and it sucks that he kind of gets put out into, um, this weird amorphous zone. And a lot of it has to do, of course, with what happened with Suicide Squad. Uh, he, he's opened up about that and how it broke him recently. So he was on the real ones with John Bernthal. Uh, Again, reported via Deadline. So this is a John Bernthal's podcast. He said, quote, Hollywood, I tell people, is like watching someone you love get fucked by someone you hate. The big one is Suicide Squad. That shit broke me. That handed me my ass. Come right off Fury, right? I had the town in my hand. Could have done anything, and I did do anything. And I go on the journey with Suicide Squad, and the same thing, authentic, truthful, Let's do all the rehearsal. Let's really get in each other's souls. Let's create this amazing collaborative thing, right? And then Deadpool opened. And they never tested Batman v Superman, so they were expecting a different result. And they got hammered by all the critics. Then it's like, okay, we're going to turn David Ayer's dark, soulful movie into a fucking comedy now. All I know is my unseen film plays much better than the studio release. The interest in my cut being shown seems real and organic, and Gunn told me it would have its time to be shared, unquote. So this goes back to that that thing we were talking about last week where James Gunn said it will have its day in the sun. So I I really like David Ayer and I, I love that he's being very candid about everything. So yeah, I can't wait for him to just say more and put out more information and everything like that. So we'll see uh, as time goes on if the Ayer cut ever does get actually released. Uh, It's been announced that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles will get their Hollywood fan fame uh, cemented forever, and I literally mean cemented, as they will be getting a handprint ceremony at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood uh, very soon, and and they will get their hand and footprints. The the Chinese Theater, now known as the TCL Chinese Theater, formerly known as Grauman's, Mann's, all these different names, uh, it's famous for having actors and actresses and and different characters put their hand and footprints into the cement in front of the theater. Um, A lot of them have been removed and stored away over time as they've added more. 
Uh, but the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles will have theirs added this year. Warner Brothers has announced the delays of several upcoming major franchise films. Uh, most of this due to the ongoing writers and actors strike, which more than likely affects Dune Part 2 more than anything, since the actors will not be able to promote the film if the strike is still ongoing. So Dune Part 2, despite the fact that the film is finished and ready for release, has moved from November 3rd of this year to March 15th of next year. Godzilla X-Kong, the new kingdom or whatever its subtitle is, uh, will move from its original March 15th release to April 12th, so just about a month, so that's not too much of a delay. And then the animated film Lord of the Rings War of the Rohirrim will move from April 12th to December 13th. That is its longest delay by far. No word yet on other upcoming major releases like Aquaman, the uh, Willy Wonka movie, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is the prequel to The Hunger Games. So nothing on those. Those are still set for release this year. Um, Speaking of sequels, Neil Blomplant... Blomplant... Neil Blomkamp, who actually directed the Gran Turismo film, was asked about his District 9 sequel that he's wanted to make for quite some time. And uh, speaking to The Hollywood Reporter, said, uh, I don't know if it's getting made or not. I don't know if I even want to make that right now, but at some point down the line, it'll probably get made. Unquote. That's disheartening. I very much like... Um, the District 9 movie. Uh, if you guys don't know, that was actually supposed to be a Halo movie, and a lot of the props they made for the Halo movie got repurposed into District 9 props. Uh, District 9 is a movie about an alien mothership that has been hovering over Johannesburg, South Africa, for like 30-something years, and how the aliens integrated, and how an, a reporter, or a, no, he's like a social worker or something, gets turned into one of the aliens. It's a great movie. Definitely check it out. Um, but I got some bad news. Sad news. Not bad news. Sad news. Two great legends of TV uh, we lost this weekend. Bob Barker, host of The Price is Right for so many years, known for beating the shit out of Happy Gilmore. The Price is Wrong, bitch. Uh, passed away at the age of 99. Many millennials and Gen Xers uh, were always treated to a great sick day at home watching Bob on The Price is Right midday on CBS, uh, Channel 8 for me. And uh, while he has retired from active life for quite some time, uh, it is saddening to hear the loss of such a legend in the game show industry and uh, a fun man in general. Don't forget to spay and neuter your pets as Bob would always say. And we also lost Arlene Sorkin, who was the original voice of Harley Quinn on Batman the Animated Series. Harley Quinn is actually based on her. Um, She passed away at the age of 67. Um, Many, many actors, especially from voice actors from Batman the Animated Series, share their condolences, including Mark Hamill, saying, quote, devastated to learn we've lost the brilliant Arlene Sorkin, not just a wonderful talent, but a truly wonderful person, 
I'm grateful not only to have worked with her, but to have been her friend. Sending my heartfelt condolences to her family and loved ones. Mark Hamill, of course, famously voiced the Joker on Batman the Animated Series. Harley Quinn's uh, significant other. James Gunn posted, quote, Rest in peace, Arlene Sorkin, the incredible, talented, original voice of Harley Quinn, who helped create the character so many of us love. Love to her family and friends. Uh, Jim Cummings, who is famous for voicing Winnie the Pooh and Darkwing Duck and other famous 90s characters, said, quote, R.P. Arlene Sorkin, the original voice of Harley Quinn, you paved the way for an entire generation, and I'll never forget our time working together, unquote. Um, I'm not sure where they worked together. I'm sure on some show in the 90s. Uh, she played. She was on Days of Our Lives in the 80s. Um, she was friends with Paul Dini, who was one of the creators of Batman the Animated Series. Like I said, uh, he actually was inspired of her dressing as a Harlequin in Days of Our Lives to create Harley Quinn for her. Um, and then, of course, would go on to voice Harley Quinn for several decades after Batman the Animated Series. But uh, so many great things she did. Uh, and it sucks that we lost, you know, Kevin Conroy last year, the voice of Batman, and now her. Uh, it's just unfortunate that uh, we lose people like this. So, it's all for you, Puddin'. All for you. Um, with the strikes ongoing, we've also learned... Last week, we talked about different visual effects artists wanting to go on strike. Well, visual effects artists who work for Disney have uh, also petitioned to start a union. The Walt Disney Studios visual effects designers are the latest group now to join with the Marvel Studios artists uh, via Variety. A supermajority of 18 in-house VFX crew members have signaled their desire to unionize. They have filed with the National Labor Relations Board, and uh, their work includes the most recent Little Mermaid, so several other Disney films. Organizer Matt Patch wrote, on in a, via a statement said quote today courageous visual effects workers at walt disney pictures overcame the fear and silence that have kept our community from having a voice on the job for decades with an overwhelming supermajority of these crews demanding an end to the way vfx has always been this is a clear sign that our campaign is not about one studio or corporation it's about vfx workers across the industry using the tools at our disposal to uplift ourselves and forge a better path forward unquote so uh more and more news has come out about the overworking and rush jobs done at different vfx studios for both marvel and disney so it's no shock that they have pushed to unionize um sticking with disney here for a bit disney has announced that two shows will no longer premiere on disney plus uh, and they are both completed. So they are finished filming, completed shows. One of which being the Spiderwick Chronicles, which was set to premiere on Disney Plus later this year. As well as Nautilus, which would have told the story of Captain Nemo and his submarine. Uh, the one who would who is based on the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea story. Uh, both of those have been scrapped and will no longer air on Disney Plus. Uh, Marvel Studios and Disney Publishing have announced that a new official 
MCU timeline book will be released. This is the first time the MCU timeline has been put to paper in an official account uh, that will release later this year. And then Disney has also released viewership numbers for Ahsoka. Uh, Before I get too deep into that, I do want to say Ahsoka Episode 3 is literally one of the best Star Wars live-action shows, episodes in general. It felt like a Clone Wars episode come to life. Um, I know I don't want to talk about a lot of new stuff due to the ongoing strikes. Uh, I do support them in in their endeavors, uh, but it's Star Wars, and i got to talk a little bit about it. Um, And it's such... It it felt like a Star Wars movie in this episode. There's the Pergil... There's, like, dogfighting, Ahsoka dons a spacesuit. It literally felt like it was ripped right out of a a Clone Wars episode. And that is why I'm loving Ahsoka more than anything. It is so great. Such a good show. But we've learned, Disney has released the viewership numbers for Ahsoka. And the first episode on Disney Plus was on track with Andor's first episode... But it's down 50% from the premiere of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, so via date, viewership tracking, Samba TV, 1.2 million households watched the first episode of Ahsoka in the U.S. within the first six days. Uh, that is also in line with the 1.2 million who watched Andor last September. God, has it been that long since Andor was on? Holy shit. Um, that's wild. It's been that long. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, sl- lower than the premiere of The Mandalorian Season 3, which was 1.7 million in March, and down 50% from Obi-Wan Kenobi's 2.4 million in May of last year. Wow, time flies. I can't believe it. Um, so Samba TV said to Deadline, quote, Disney Plus continues to find success with live-action Star Wars series, with Ahsoka serving as the latest show to draw in more than 1 million households across its first six days. Rosario Dawson's portrayal of the Jedi shows that not only are fans eager for more adventures in the Star Wars universe, but that they'll gladly watch shows led by female characters with women serving as five of the six main characters. This opens a new chapter in the Star Wars saga. Unquote. I, like I said, I very much love Ahsoka. I think its, it's downturn could be from not every Star Wars fan, not everyone has watched Clone Wars or Rebels. Uh, I have a friend, actually, who... Has neither has watched neither and is very confused. He can't even say Ahsoka right, <laughs> um, but he's watched neither, so he's very thrown off by how Ahsoka, who Ahsoka is and her story. Um, but like I said, it's very, very interesting. We've also learned now that 14 million people have watched Ahsoka's premiere episode in its first week worldwide. So. After Samba said 1.2 million watched the households in America in the U.S., um, this now is 14 million households in the first seven days worldwide. Um, They haven't given its official premiere episode numbers for any of the other shows, so we don't know how it's comparing worldwide uh, like Samba did. So we'll see uh, what happens moving forward if we'll get a second season if this is a standalone show things like that i'm very much loving it i encourage you to watch it um 
But yes, Ahsoka continues to be great. Uh, Zendaya was being interviewed and revealed that she wants to play a villain in a major motion picture. I think she could pull it off. She's a great actress. Chad Stolhesky was being interviewed about several different films. And uh, he was on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. And they were talking about John Wick 4. And then they asked him about his Highlander movie. Yes, there can only be one. This one is going to star Henry Cavill. Uh, Chad Stileski had this to say. Quote, I think we have some very good elements now. The trick is when you have the tagline, there can only be one, you can't just kill everybody the first time. Um, Unquote. Uh, He did follow up to say, quote, I'll say it for you first. Our story engages a lot of the same characters and stuff like that. But we're, we've also brought in elements of all the TV shows and we're trying to do a bit of a prequel, a setup to the gathering, so we have room to grow the property. Unquote. This should be great, um, especially with Henry Cavill. I think he will be a great, great uh, version of the Highlander whenever that movie gets made and put on film. Uh, the original alternate ending of The Flash has been released online, and the major difference is it does not feature a Batman. So it would have led into Ezra Miller potentially being The Flash in James Gunn's DCU, but given it ended with a cameo of, of, uh, The Flash is on HBO Max now, or Max, excuse me. Even with it ended with a cameo of George Clooney, I think we can kind of put the, to bed the idea of, of Ezra continuing on. Um, we've learned that Martin Scorsese's next film, which was only going to originally have a limited release uh, and was only going to be on Apple TV Plus and, and things like that. Well, Apple and Paramount have announced that Killers of the Flower Moon will have a global release on October 20th. It is a second, his second longest film. Uh, coming in at 3 hours and 26 minutes, so be prepared for a long one if you see it in the theaters. Given the ongoing strikes, and, and of course writers and actors are essentially not making money, the five major late-night hosts have launched a podcast series that started today uh, and will feature all proceeds of the show going to support their writers. Uh, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Seth Meyers, and John Oliver have teamed up with Spotify to launch what is being called, uh, what is this, Strike Force 5. Like I said, it launched today and other major podcast pro- platforms, including Spotify. Uh, each episode will feature a different host um, from the quintet. They will moderate discussions in relation to the strikes. Uh, We'll have at least 12 episodes. Like I said, all proceeds will go to the striking writers and out-of-work staff from each show, including The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Late Night with Seth Meyers, and Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Uh, They're all really good friends, actually. And um, so this is something new. Like I said, it dropped today. And uh, via a press release, it said, quote, Uh, Hold on, let me pull this press release. So, um, hold on, Uh, it's going to be on their megaphone. It says, so, quote, This past May, the hosts of five major late-night talk shows had an idea to meet every week to discuss the complexities behind the ongoing Hollywood strikes. 
What ensued was a series of hilarious and compelling conversations. Now, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Seth Meyers, and John Oliver have teamed up with Spotify for an all-new limited series podcast, Strike Force 5, so fans can listen in on these once-private chats. The hosts bring their unique insights, opinions, and humor to the show as they navigate the Hollywood strikes and beyond. Launching August 30th and available across most major podcast platforms, the series will run for at least 12 episodes with each host serving as a rotating moderator. All proceeds received by the hosts from Strike Force 5 will go to out-of-work staff from the hosts' respective shows, including The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Late Night with Seth Meyers, and Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. The series will be hosted on Spotify's Megaphone with Spotify's executive sales partner. Strike Force 5 will be supported by Mint Mobile and Diageo, uh, uh, Aviation American Gin, Bullet Frontier Whiskey, Casamigos, and Kettle One Vodka, who were first to come aboard to support the show as co-presenting sponsors. Unquote. So, if you guys want to listen, if you guys are big fans of them at all, uh, the first episode is live. I am a big fan of most of them, so I'm actually going to actively listen to this podcast. It's also a great way to support the actors and writers currently on strike. Uh, Denny Villeneuve, who, of course, directed Dune and Dune Part 2, has opened up about the potential for Dune Part 3. While it has yet to be confirmed, I'm I'm sure it will be, um, he said he hopes to adapt Dune Messiah for a potential Dune Part 3 to tell the real story of the book, because it's not what people always think. Um, so if, if, if he does get to make it, that is his eventual plan. A few weeks back, we reported, I think it was months back, actually reported on a few men who were suing, uh, a movie studio over Anna de Armas and false advertising for a movie that she was supposed to be in. So it was a movie, it was, it was like Beatles themed. It was called yesterday if i remember properly hold on i'm pulling up the article here well it was um yeah it was was called yesterday about a guy who like gets hit by a car wakes up in a world that never has the had never had the beatles in it so he starts singing like beatles music well the original trailer featured anna de armas and these two men took it upon themselves to sue universal pictures over the fact that she was not in the uh, the movie, so because false advertising. Well, a judge has thrown out the case via the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, U.S. District Judge Stephen Wilson has dismissed the case uh, that was brought by Michael Rosa and Connor Wolf, who accuse Universal Pictures of quote false advertisement, unjust enrichment, and violation of unfair competition quote unquote. Judge Wilson said that their lawsuit, quote, lacks standing because the injury is, quote, self-inflicted, unquote. They filed a lawsuit last year after they rented the 2019 Danny Boyle film um, for $4 each on Amazon Prime. Uh, And after they found out she was not in the movie, they decided to sue the $5 million in compensation on behalf of the affected viewers. In their two home states that rented it. <laughs> That's, uh... So the judge, though, had previously ruled that mo- people can sue movie studios under false advertising. 
if they release deceptive trailers for upcoming titles um, or trailers for upcoming movies. He explained that trailers are, quote, commercial speech designed to sell a movie. They are subject to California false advertising law, unquote. But in this case, he found that they... um, Oh, God. The court found that Wolf rented the movie a second time, quote, under the belief that the Armist would appear in a director's cut, unquote. <laughs> um, oh, Jesus. These guys. These guys. I, I, it's hilarious, man. That's funny to me. Idiots. I'm going to sue Universal Pictures. F- fucking joke, dude. Um, anyway, final bit of movie news here. We've learned that Adam Sandler finally has his highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes and he isn't even the star of the film. It is uh, a new movie that just released on Netflix. It actually stars his daughters. Uh, It is You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah. (laughs) And it tells the story uh, of a girl who is played by his younger daughter, as she plans for her bat mitzvah, which is a coming-of-age celebration or event in in Judaism culture. Uh, And it is his highest-rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes, and it sits at 96% of, of all movies for him, even higher, even higher than, um... Even higher than Uncut Gems, which is wild. Which is wild. Um, <laughs> look, I love Adam Sandler. I've seen pretty much pretty much all of his movies. Um, and I started watching this one. Not really for me. It, it's mostly for... Um, it's really mostly for, for children. Or not children, but like teenagers and things like that. Um, it's It's... It's so funny that uh, he's, he's, uh, it was based on a book. Oh, I didn't know that. But, hmm. it's it's cool. I'm happy. I'm happy for him. Uh, Idina Menzel is in it as well. But yeah, it's, it's, it's his highest rated movie. That's crazy. Anyway, that is it for Hollywood news. Let's go on to talk about some of my favorite 80s movies yet again. So we return with another collection of classic films that I'm going to rate. So, uh, we've been doing the 80s for the last two weeks. Uh, We did 80s comedy. We did 80s action. Well, now, let's do 80s sci-fi, baby. Top 10 films. Top 10 80s sci-fi films. My favorite. You might be surprised by some of them. And uh, we'll we'll start at the bottom, as we always do. Uh, Number 10, Short Circuit 2. It's a movie about a robot that gets lost in New York. I've never actually seen the first movie. Uh, it's somewhat problematic by today's standards because it does feature an actor in brownface. Um, Short Circuit 2 released July 6th, 1988. Tells the story of Johnny Number 5, a fancy smart robot that uh, tries to be a hero in New York City. 
I don't really have a lot to say about it just because it's been so long since I've seen it, but it's better than some of the other movies that would quantify for traditional sci-fi movies. Yes, there's other movies that won't be on this list because they're in other lists for 80s movies. But uh, Number nine, Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante, released June 8th, 1984. Don't feed them after midnight or get them wet. Because they'll turn into gremlins. Yes, it's technically a comedy, horror, sci-fi movie about little creatures that terrorize a small New England town, I think it is, or upstate New York town. But, you know, Mowgli, Mogwai, Mogwai, that's what it is. Um, And Gizmo, the little Mogwai. Funny movie, great movie. Um, Gremlins. Number eight, The Abyss, directed by James Cameron, released August 9th. 1989 the abyss is um, the movie that has one of the first first cgi characters when the water comes to life um in the movie uh towards the end it features a team of scientists in a submersible crew uh not a submersible crew but like an underwater lab that encounter aliens it is a great movie nominated for best visual arts at the academy awards uh, starring Ed Harris and Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio and Michael Bean, of all people. I very much like this movie. It is a, it's not even a thrill, it's not a thriller per se. It's just, it's a, it's a very fun, uh, maybe not fun per se. It's a great science fiction movie. Uh, James Cameron was at his best in the, uh, in the 80s, realistically. But uh, it's, it's a fun movie. You should definitely check it out. There is an extended version, but um, it features, like I said, aliens and some great, great visual effects. Some of the first of its kind at the time. At number seven, you might be shocked by this. Star Wars Return of the Jedi, released May 25th, 1983. Yes, most of you know Star Wars Return of the Jedi is not very high on my list of Star Wars films. Um, that's why it's kind of low in terms of science fiction movies from the 80s. I've waxed poetic on all the Star Wars films. Yes, the Death Star 2 fight between Luke and Vader is amazing. Yes, the space battles are great. We get to see Jabba, Boba, Fett, all these people. But the Ewoks bring it down just a bit. Uh, number six, one of my favorite video game movies, Tron, released July 9th. 1982, that's right, 1982, Greetings Programs, uh, Jeff, Jeff Bridges stars as uh, a, man, a game developer who gets sucked into his own game, Tron, of course, and uh, has to save the grid, it is a quintessential 80s film, I think it's filmed on rotoscope, to be honest, I love Tron, I love Tron Legacy, I love Tron as a property in general, uh, great music in this movie, synthesizers, things like that. It, it's it's a fun movie, especially to show your kids about like what video game movies were back then, the light cycles, things like that. Definitely, definitely show them both Tron movies because they are very, very good and pushed the boundaries of what visual effects were in their respective times. Uh, number five, a movie that is near and dear to my heart, Back to the Future 2. Released November 22nd, 1989. Marty, we gotta go back. 
the second one, while I do very much enjoy, just rehashes a lot of the, the first movie. Um, but it is fun seeing them go to 2015 and an alternate alternate 1985. But Back to the Future Part 2, great movie. Biff is the big bad villain of the movie as per the storyline set in place in the first one. Where we're going, we don't need Rhodes. Famously replaced uh, the actress who played Elizabeth from the first movie to the second movie. And... Uh, it took. It was made four years after the first one, which is funny. I like watching all the future stuff because it's like obviously we're so much beyond that point in time now that none of that stuff came true. So it's always fun. Um, Back to the Future Part Two, number four, the first Back to the Future, released July third, nineteen eighty five. Marty McFly gets uh, stuck in a. Del- you made a time machine out of a DeLorean. Great movie. I love Back to the Future. It is one of my favorite franchises. Marty McFly goes back to 1955 to save the relationship between his mother and father and his future to ensure that he exists. If you've never seen it, you definitely should because it is a great movie and still holds up today. Save the clock tower! Number three. Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. Released November 26th, 1986. Yes, it's the one with the whales. Captain Kirk and his crew, after freshly reviving Captain Spock, must save the Federation and Earth from a mysterious probe looking for whales. Whales that have been deceased for centuries. So they go back in time to present day San Francisco to rescue the whales. It is a... Tale as old as time in Star Trek, a time travel story, which they tend to do quite often, and it is one of my favorite Star Trek movies. I It's uh, probably one of the first Star Trek movies. It's the second Star Trek movie I bought on iTunes when iTunes started selling movies, and you could watch movies on your iPods. Yes, that's I'm that old. <laughs> I am that old. Um, yes, yeah, Star Trek, the one with the whale, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, which I'm sure tells you what number two is yes it's star trek 3 the search for spot no it's not it's star trek 2 the wrath of khan released june 4th 1982 Khan, the best star trek film hands down full stop khan returns to take revenge out on kirk after kirk left him to die on seti alpha 4 seti alpha 5 of course they hijack the genesis device we meet we meet Kirk's son. We see the return of Chekhov, of everyone. Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is a great science fiction film. This actually features the first, the first digital, fully digital sequence created by ILM when they're showing off how the Genesis device would work. Um, not, a, not, a via, not a digital character, but a digital sequence. Uh, fully created in, in computer animation. That is in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. We we see the demise of the original Enterprise. Spoilers for a 40-year-old movie. Uh, we see the the Miranda class, which would come to be used in Star Trek for, for decades after that point. Khan is a great villain overall, but Star Trek II, 
the wrath of Khan at my number two. And no surprise here, my number one sci-fi film for, ni- for the 1980s, Star Wars Episode V, The Empire Strikes Back, I Need I Say More, released May 21st, 1980. Join me and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son. No, I am your father. Yes, Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Wars, Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, the Battle of Hoth, the lightsaber battle at Bespin, Yoda, you know, there's just amazing things going on in this movie. The Space Slug, Han Solo and Carbonite, Lando, he's a man, not a system. Star Wars, Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, my favorite Star Wars movie, my favorite sci-fi movie of the 1980s. Full stop, no question. It was a great, great time to be alive. Uh, so there you have it, my top 10 1980 sci-fi films. Short Circuit 2, Gremlins, The Abyss, Return of the Jedi, Tron, Back to the Future Part 2, Back to the Future, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Wars Episode V, The Empire Strikes Back. Well, that is it, folks. Thank you guys for listening week in, week out. Uh, I am Nick, the host of Nick's Nerd News. You guys can catch us here every Wednesday. We're on every major podcast platform. Follow us on social media, including myself. Nick's Nerd News on all most major platforms. Follow the Nick DeFalco, my personal TikTok. And uh, that was episode 277. It is August 30th. I will catch you guys on the flip side. This has been a production of Nixner News. Please do not use without implicit faxed permission. And yes, that means with a fax machine. Thank you and have a nice day.